Hello, man. How's everybody doing on this wet weekend? Okay? Yeah? Uh, you all have those little bags, your umbrellas and little baggies, I noticed. It's sort of, sort of interesting. Hope they don't mildew while we're here. Uh, my sister, talking about weather, my sister had a very extraordinary Friday night. She, was, she actually emailed me right on the heels of um, a level 5.4 earthquake where she lives in Brea, California. Maybe you saw this in the news. She, she had been home experiencing it. And she even, in fact, during the email, she's typing along and she, she kept saying throughout the email, oops, there goes another one. There goes another one. All these aftershocks kept coming. It was quite extraordinary, out of the ordinary. Listen, here's some of the emails she sent. The house was shaking and rolling, bouncing up and down. Lasted over a minute. Mark ran to hold the fish tank. I was holding the glass bookcase. Cupboard doors are flying open. Pictures are cattywampus on the walls. The rolling cart is rolling around the kitchen, ceiling fan is swinging around, and the pool slapped a bunch of water up onto the deck. It was so loud, the roof and floors were creaking, I thought the whole house was going to fall apart. Uh, Mark said, oops, there goes another one. <laughs> Mark said that he could see the sliding glass doors flexing like crazy, neighborhood car alarms going off, lights going out, but now everything's back to normal, just an ordinary evening. <laughs> I thought, well... Not so ordinary, if you ask me. How many of you ever been through one of those big ones like that? Not like the big one we had here, but the big ones. I tell you, everything moves and shakes. It's very alarming and kind of shakes things up. You're just, it's an ordinary night. You're sitting there, and then all of a sudden, boom, everything starts to move, and it can be kind of uh, alarming that way. It's extraordinary. Um, I keep using that word. Maybe you noticed. Um, that word extraordinary is a good word to describe Jesus. It's what they certainly thought of Jesus back in the day when he was here on the planet the first time. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Uh, extra means out of, not from. So extraterrestrial is someone who's not out of this world, not from this planet. Extraordinary means this is not common, customary, usual, but extraordinary. You look up extraordinary in the dictionary and you start sounding a little bit like Jesus. Unusual, exceptional, remarkable, right? Sensational, incredible, unbelievable, phenomenal, striking, outstanding, abnormal, memorable, unforgettable, impressive, uncommon, fantastic, terrific, wondrous, enormous, anomalous, stupendous, momentous, prodigious, tremendous Jesus. He's extraordinary, isn't he? It's what they thought of him then. It's what they thought of him now. And in, in many ways, for the same reason that an earthquake is, it shakes things up. He, he rattles and rearranges and challenges, and it's not ordinary. That's why there were so many people that were drawn to him was because of his extraordinariness. Same way with an earthquake, right? If you, there's an earthquake, people run out in their streets afterwards and they're talking to their neighbors about, there's a buzz, it creates a buzz. And Jesus did the same thing. He kind of created a buzz. There was this large crowd following Jesus in his early teaching time. It's something we're going to look at today. And uh, he was out doing these miracles and teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And they were like, oh, this guy's awesome. Let's make him our king. Um, John chapter 16, 6, verse 15. We talked some about this last week. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus literally runs away. <laughs> He's like, I got to get out of here. The crowd is crazy. So then later, his disciples take off in a boat. And they're like heading home. And Jesus sees it. He's like, wow, there's my, that's my getaway vehicle. 
and I got to get out there, but I don't have a jet ski. What's he going to do? This is when Jesus walks on water. You may have thought maybe the first time he walked on water was to make some big spiritual statement. I think he's just like, I got to get out of here. I hope this works. Hey, wait for me, guys. And off he goes. And he catches up to the disciples, and they're, they're making off. But then in verse 24, it says, once the crowd realized, they look around and realize that neither Jesus nor his disciples are there, well, then they get into their boats, and they go after him over to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is like funny. Can you see what's happening here? Jesus is so extraordinary, so popular. It's like, there's like, this, it's like a James Bond film boat chase scene, right? They're out there trying to get away. You know, the, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's Jesus and his disciples. They're like, getting away. Get him. He's extraordinary. Okay, let me ask you a question. Why? Why does everybody want to be around Jesus? Why were they so drawn to, to be near him, to hear him, to see him, to figure out what he was going to do next? What made him so extraordinary? And trust me, Jesus is more extraordinary than James Bond. We're going to talk some about that today. Uh, there's a family, I know. The husband's a lawyer. family's very well off financially. You'd look at them and think, well, they really have it together. Um, but the mom, Eileen, her life was feeling kind of empty for a long period of time for a number of reasons that were going on in her life. And somebody invited their daughter to a youth retreat through a church, not unlike the youth retreat that hundreds of our students are at right now over on the beach this weekend. And at that youth event, this daughter, she hears about this man, Jesus. And she comes home talking about that. She kind of creates this buzz in their own house about this Jesus. And it resonates with Eileen, the mom, in a way that she kind of is interested in, but it kind of bothers her like a little rumbling of an earthquake about to go on, too. That night, she can't sleep. She gets up at midnight. She goes and finds a Bible. They had a Bible in their house. She'd never read it. It was given to them uh, as a wedding gift, you know. It has an Old Testament and a New Testament. She didn't know any first thing about what that meant. She figured, well, the New Testament kind of sounds like the upgraded version. I'll start there. So she starts reading in books that you've probably read some this week in the story. Matthew. Mark and Luke, these are the stories of Jesus. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's like hanging out with Jesus. It's like spending time with him, which is what she did through the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. She gets over to the book of John. She keeps reading. She says in her own words, I fell in love with this man, Jesus. And she went to bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. She said, I, I want to be like those disciples. I want to follow him. I want what they have. I, I, I want more of him. And I want what happened to her that night to happen to me again and again and again in my own life. Where I meet Jesus in a fresh way. So he can shock and shake me and that I could be drawn to him and want to commit to follow him as a disciple all over again. I hope that happens for you through this reading this week, through this next few minutes we spend together with him. Through the reading you do the next week. And maybe some of you, for the first time, will have that encounter with Jesus. You know, I, I can't make you love him. But like Annie Stanley says, maybe I can at least arrange a first date. And hopefully the two of you will hit it off. So let's spend a little time with Jesus and talk about what made him so extraordinary. If you will follow him like this, it will make you extraordinary too, by the way. So how would that happen? Well, let's talk about what makes Jesus so extraordinary. Back then, but still today. Okay? Fair enough? There's so much we could say about what makes Jesus extraordinary. We could talk about how he loves the unlovely. 
how he calls the unlikely, how he welcomes the unworthy. We could talk about his grace and forgiveness and all of that stuff, the way he loves on people, but I want to talk about just two other things that make him so extraordinary today. And, and the first is, one of these things that really sets Jesus apart is, is the way he taught. Jesus teaches with authority. He, 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 he was a great teacher. And the way he taught, it kind of, because of who he was as a son of God, it had its authority to what he said. And the authority, people resonated with what he said in a way, it's like it rang true. Deep down inside, they knew it was true. When the, right out of the gate, when he first starts teaching, Mark chapter 1, verse 27, the people hear what he says, and they see what he does, and it says they were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? That's like a new teaching. And, and with what? With authority. Yeah. It's not like the other things we're hearing. Okay, here's your chance to brag. How many of you read chapter 24 in prep for this week? Go ahead and raise your hand and show off a little bit. Good for you. Look at that. Way to go. Blessed are you who did the reading. For you, for you will be glad you did. In the reading this week, you have these Beatitudes, the blessed are you's. They're, they're found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's the longest section of recorded teaching we have of Jesus. Um, we call it sometimes the Sermon on the Mount. It starts there and the first part is this beatitudes according to the scriptures it takes place out on the shores of the sea of galilee here's a picture of me a few years back standing at the place where most believe this is where jesus was going back and forth on the lake all the time um and right there is the place they figure was the gathering place where all these people gathered for the sermon on the mount here's a picture further up the hill looking down you can see a patch of grass i didn't get a great picture of it but that's the area that most believe everyone would have gathered jesus standing on the shore where i was back up the hill kind of using the national amphitheater and, and talking and, and then he begins this, this Sermon on the Mount. It starts with this, blessed are you. We don't know what the delivery would have been like. We don't have any indication what it would have sounded like. I don't think it was like, blessed are the poor in spirit. I, I, I don't think that's the way Jesus delivered. I, don't, I just don't think so. If you really want to hear someone yell at you like that, you, you can go to, the, go to the Orioles game with a Yankees jersey on and you'll hear something that resembles that. But I, I don't think... That's how Jesus, nor do I happen to believe that it, it sounded more like you tend to see in the films of Elizabethan, like, like blessed are the poor in spirit, you know. So I, I, don't, I don't think that was it. I have a hard time imagining it. Blessed y'all and the poor spare. I, I, I don't see that. I don't see that. I don't know. I don't know what it would have been like. But the ordinary part was the delivery probably. What was extraordinary was what he was saying. Because it seemed so out of the ordinary, so unusual, it almost seemed upside down. He kept using this word blessed. Nine times he does. Blessed are you in, blessed are you in. And, and the word blessed there, or blessed, just think of the word happy. It just means you're well off. You're actually in a good place. You're happy, you're blessed when. But then the things that he described would make us actually well off, happy, and blessed don't sound like the things we'd expect. So blessed are you when you're, when you're mourning, when you're really sad, because then God's going to really, you're going to meet God in a special way. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you're hungry. Blessed are you when you're poor. And all of it just sounds wrong. It sounds upside down to us when you hear this teaching. So we need to kind of get some help understanding some of this upside down teaching. So I've got a friend who's going to come out and help us understand what it'll be like to sit under the authority of upside down teacher Jesus, but he doesn't know everything that's happening yet. So just give a big round of applause for my friend Todd. Come on, Todd. All right, Todd's one of our 
one of our pastors here on staff. He's a good friend. He's a good sport. Also, he works for us, so he has to do what I say. So, Harry, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thank you. Now, you want to be like Jesus, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's kind of a loaded question, isn't <laughs> it? It is. Coming from you. How would you like to teach like Jesus today? Okay. Okay, sure. you're up for that? I can help with that. Now, we were talking okay. about how everything Jesus said, it was so counterintuitive, it sounded upside down. Okay. So I was thinking we could just do that. But then I was thinking there's too many of them to turn upside down. But what if we just yeah. turned you upside down? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen one of these deals? It's like an inverter deal. Yeah. You, yeah. You're yeah. an athlete. I know you are. Hop in there. Put your feet down there. You want me to get in? Yeah, right now. All yeah, right. go with me here. You'll see. Trust me on this. All right. So Jesus, everything he said, it's like, man, this guy's upside down. But if you just stop and listen to him, you start realizing, wow, this has a ring of truth to it. So let's see if Todd can... You ready to go? Ready. All right, we're going to go back here. All right. Okay. So notice the, wow. notice the color of his face now. <laughs> and check it out in a moment or two. How are you doing? Yeah. Doing you, good. You good? Yeah. Jesus didn't preach this like this, did he? I don't know. We said he was upside down. Hey, here I got. I got something for you here. Just hang on. That was bad. <laughs> here you go. Oh. Upside down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you all are the people. You're gathered there, and uh, Jesus is an upside-down teacher on the shores of Galilee. Now you're all watching, and this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because when you're at the end of your rope, there is less of you and more of God. Blessed are those who mourn, because when you've lost what is most dear to you, it is then you can be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. Blessed are the pure in heart, because when you get your inside world right, then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution, because the persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. I know you're familiar with the old command, do not murder, but I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Or say you're out on the street, and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. You make the first move. Go make things right with him. You know this commandment well. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But don't think simply staying out of bed makes you virtuous. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Listen, I haven't come to demolish the scriptures. I'm here to complete them. Long after the stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's word will be alive and working. All right. Let's show our appreciation for Todd for hanging around with us. How you doing, bud? You got this? Yep. Ah. Okay. He's passed out. I'll give him a minute here. You doing all right? I'm doing all right. All right. Don't try that at home, kids. I guess. I don't know. Hey, show our appreciation for Todd. Thank you for being an upside-down teacher. <laughs> yeah, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. Here's the deal. I mean, can you see how upside down some of the teaching of Jesus really is? I mean, turn the other cheek. Uh, it just sounds backwards according to, to the way we think of things. Uh, 
when you're brokenhearted, that's when you have an opportunity to be closest to God. Here's the deal. What we begin to recognize when you listen to the teaching of Jesus, there's an authority to it, there's a truth to it. You begin to recognize that it is not he who is upside down. It's we who are upside down because we have so deeply bought into the teaching and the common sense of this world that what he's teaching sounds so uncommon and unordinary, extraordinary that we think he's the one upside down. But it's the other way around. So what we're saying is we talk about the authority of Jesus' teaching is that part of what that means is if you're going to come under the authority of Jesus, that means you're going to have to actually trust him, that he knows what he's talking about. It doesn't do any good to say Jesus is an authoritative teacher if it doesn't actually have authority for you. So each of us has to make a decision. Is this someone that I trust? Do I think he's smart? Do I think he knows what he's actually talking about? Is he, is he right? If, if a surgeon comes to you a, after an examination and says, well, you've got a big mass, I'm going to have to take this knife here and cut you open and get rid of it. It's called surgery. And you might be like, whoa, whoa my mama told me not to even run with scissors. I mean, I'm, you're going to put a knife anywhere near me. That doesn't sound right. That sounds backwards. That sounds upside down. No, no, no. But you've got to decide at some point, do you trust this surgeon? Do you think she knows what she's talking about? Is she smart? Can you trust her? Or are you going to go under the knife or not? And it's the same way with Jesus. There will be so many times when his teaching seems counterintuitive, like, I don't know, that sounds backwards. It's going to sound crazy. It's going to sound wrong. But you've got to decide, do you trust him? Do you think he's smart and knows what he's talking about when it comes to your life and what's real? And that's where the authority of Jesus comes into play. Is Jesus authoritative for you? A lot of people hear the words of Jesus, but they really don't do them. And that's what makes a disciple a disciple. Someone who follows Jesus. And here's a, a question that might help you get at the answer to that. Is there anything in your life that if others were kind of watching and observing you, that would seem kind of upside down by the world's standards? So uncommon, so extraordinary, it's sort of Jesus-like. Is there some of that in your own life? Are you pure in spirit? Pure in heart? Blessed are you if you're pure in heart. Or are you just as fake and inwardly corrupt and full of a bunch of skeletons in your closets and crooked motives like everybody else? Are you, are you meek, humble and content with who God made you to be? Or are you always overly concerned about what everybody thinks of you? Filled with self-promotion ideas just like everybody else? Are you merciful? Blessed are the merciful. Or do you figure, no one gave me a break, I'm not giving anyone else a break? Are you a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. Is your family more peaceful? Is your workplace, your small group, your neighborhood, the interstate, is it a more peaceful place? Because you're there. Jesus taught with authority, and the question is, does he have authority over you? And if so, it begins to make an impact in your life. We see this most clearly as we move on to the sort of next kind of teaching that Jesus did. He was very fond of having a principle he wanted to communicate, and then he would kind of wrap it up in a story with an object lesson from nature or everyday life around him. Do anybody know what we call those stories Jesus told? What are they called? Parables. Jesus told lots of them, parables, little stories, a truth wrapped you know, up in a, in a story to sort of make the illustration. That's what, that was Jesus' way of teaching with authority. He would, he would tell the parable, explain the parable, and then he would live the parable. 
He embodied it. He modeled it. He acted it out in real life. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And that's the teaching that he did that was so extraordinary. He, did, he, he said, hey, y'all, stop worrying about everything. Don't worry. Worry doesn't help you at all. He told the parable. He told a parable about, about well, like, like flowers. Look at them. They're beautiful, and they just wave around. They're carefree. They just trust their father. You need to be like that. And then, you know what? That was the teaching. And, they, and they, they, he taught it. But when they caught it is when he himself had plenty of reasons to worry when his death was facing him in the face, and he trusted the father like a flower and, and gave his life over in the hands of the Father, and then they caught it. That's how he taught with authority. Remember he told that story about that guy who fell on hard luck. He got beat up and left on the side of the road to die, and everybody, all these good people, kept passing by and ignoring him. Good church-going types, preacher types, kept ignoring him, leaving him on the side of the road, until one man, the most unlikely of sorts, the Samaritan, stopped, bent down, bound up his wounds, took care of the guy, took him to an inn, and at great personal expense, took care of him, and then went on his way. And Jesus says, which one's the real neighbor here? And everybody knew. That guy who helped him. And Jesus said, go and do What's interesting is that Jesus went and did likewise. Because as he's walking around, the disciples are watching him. He's a living parable. Because he... He passed by. These people were there on the side of the road. The, the, the sick people, the blind man, the, the leper, the lame paralytic, the woman at the well, the woman with a hemorrhage of blood for 12 years, and everyone was passing by, but Jesus stopped, bent down, bound up their wounds, and healed them. In fact, He's done that for all of us, hasn't He? At great personal expense to Himself, has paid the price so you can live forever with God. He lived out the parable, and this is what gives Jesus a kind of authoritative voice over your life and over mine. He wasn't just a lecturer. He had a lab session. He said, here's how you do it. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And he lived these parables out in hopes that we would, in following him, absorb this upside-down teaching into our own lives and begin to live it out ourselves so it would ooze out of us, out of you and me, so people could see it and be drawn back to Jesus. To live. Do you live this stuff? Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you know this stuff. It means you live this stuff. Does Jesus have that kind of authority in your life? I don't think there's any mistake that there's any surprise about why some people don't like the church or Christians today because they know that we're, we're supposedly the body of Christ is supposed to live all this stuff. But sometimes we don't want to be the body. We just want to be the mouth. We want to talk about stuff. And we talk a good game, but we don't always walk the walk. So I wonder if maybe there's an area where you are feeling Jesus invite you to do more than talk about it or to know about it, but to walk the walk that He's calling you to, to come under the authority of His teaching. I'll bet there is. Now, when we start talking about authority and spirituality, a lot of us immediately go to the rules game. We start thinking about religious laws and rules and all these things you've got to do because that's what we've been taught is the right way to sort of please God. And that's exactly the way, the way they were in those days. Well, boy, they were all about that. So there were rabbis 
who interpreted the law and scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law and all these people. And see, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. And each one of them, some of these rabbis then, they were teachers, they would, they would interpret a certain way about how you would apply them to everyday life. And all the interpretations were different. And so different rabbis had kind of like a school of thought. And they would invite followers to, um, or followers would come and say, I want to follow that rabbi or I want to follow that rabbi because I like their particular school of thought. That school of thought, if you came under that promoted understanding or belief of that particular rabbi, it was called a yoke. It was called a yoke. You were placing yourself under that person's yoke, their philosophy of religion. So you remember what a yoke is. Here's a picture of a yoke back in those days, like this big heavy piece of wood that would be placed over the shoulder of two beasts of burden so that they could together be kind of held together and the master would drive them where they want to go and they're all pulling the same direction. And so all the different teachers had their own yoke. And so some would say, okay, here's my yoke um, with regard to the Sabbath law. Well, the Bible says no work on the Sabbath, rest, make it a day of rest. Well, then they would say, well, here's what that means. Um, some would say no spitting. You follow me? No spitting. Because spitting, your spit goes down in the dirt, it becomes like mud-like, then it could become like a brick, and then you're working. So no, no spitting. Others would say, no, spitting's fine. Two different yokes. Or some would say, um, you can't make a sandwich on the Sabbath. Others would say, yeah, you can. Or some would say, you can't walk, you can't walk past your property because that's, that's effort and too much work. Others would say, well, if you go the night before and you move the property marker out there, then you can go out a certain distance past that and it's still good. Or with regard to marital intimacy on the Sabbath, some would say, nope, it's work. <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> Others would say, twice because it's worship. And so you could just choose your rabbi. I'm not making this up. So you see, Jesus, Jesus comes along and they called him rabbi. They called him teacher. They called him Lord. And he has this new kind of teaching and a new kind of authority about him. He said, all he says is, follow me. He doesn't give them a list of rules. He doesn't give them a doctrinal statement to sign. He says, follow me. Follow me. I'm different. At one point, Jesus says, you know, your religious leaders, what, you're, what they're doing to you is they're heaping all of these things on you as if it's going to help you spiritually. If you keep all these rules, they lead you to believe. It'll lead you closer to God. But you and I today know full well this doesn't work that way. The, all the religious rules in the world, you keep them all. You never feel like you're quite measuring up. It's just big burden that overpowers you. You always feel unworthy. There's this eternal demand you live under this basket of guilt the whole time it leaves you exhausted does anybody have an identification of what i'm talking about and jesus says look look i'm not i'm not coming to abolish the law but i want to fulfill it for you listen it's a whole it's you're, you're looking at it upside down people rules 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 that's not the teaching and authority i'm talking about verse 28 of matthew 11 he says just come to me Come to me. Don't come to a list of rules. All you who are weary and burdened by all this religion, I, let me just give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I want to be your rabbi. For I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Doesn't this sound attractive, people? Come to me. Just follow me, Jesus says. Take this yoke. You've got to trust that it's the right one. It, 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 you'll think it's, no, that's not the right yoke, but just trust me. And it will actually be easier. 
to trust Jesus and do it his way. Even if it looks harder, even if it sounds like I don't want that knife in me, trust me, it's an easier yoke than the one you're trying to carry right now. Does Jesus have that kind of authority in your life? The kind of authority where he has the right to call the shots. The kind of authority where he modeled it and then you begin to live it as well. The kind of authority where it's not a bunch of rules, but it's following him and where he goes, I will follow and do. Well, let me... Let me share one more thing that I think is extraordinary about Jesus. We've talked about how he teaches with authority and how we need to come under that authority. Let me just mention one more. And that is that Jesus acts with power. He was powerful. The Son of God, you know, he had the Creator's power in his fingertips and he often used that power in amazing ways Partly, he would use his power in miraculous ways to establish who he was. We'll talk some about the Son of God next week. But he also used his power in compassionate ways to heal and to change and forgive. Jesus could change lives and still does. That's what makes him extraordinary. And that's the kind of power you need in your life. So do I. Power to change lives. Mark chapter 5, this guy, this demon-possessed guy comes up to him. He's like crawling. He reminds me, in my mind, I see that little golem, creepy little dude from Lord of the Rings. And that's what he's like, you know. This guy, you get the feeling he was a great guy at one time, but this powerful inner force of evil from inside has gotten such a grip on his life. And now he's lost himself. He's no longer who he was, and he's out of his mind. He's, he, he, he's, he's become this ugly, gruesome person he never wanted to be, and it seems like he'll never go back to what he was. Maybe some of you can identify with that kind of inner battle where you feel like who you are is not who you wanted to be, and you can't seem to help yourself. Nobody could help this guy. Unsolvable problem. No chains, no therapy, no rehab. Nothing could help this guy. He was stuck, miserable, chained. Until, until he meets Jesus. And you think there's going to be this big power encounter, like some video game, you know, but it's not that way. Jesus, with a flip of the wrist and a wave of the hand, does away with those demons, casts them out. He's so powerful. And they're gone. And there's this man. The next thing you know, we, the, by, the Bible says after Jesus overpowered those demonic forces and they're cast out, the Bible says the next thing you know, you see this guy and there he is clothed and in his right mind. It's a beautiful scene. He's back the version of himself that he was always meant to be. You want to get your life back? Become the person that you're meant to be? The person that you thought was so far gone or the person you thought you'd never become? And you got some inner demons that are holding you back? You need the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus to act in your life. This guy comes running up to me out here, right out here in the commons, just, just a little while ago, he comes running up to me. He, he, his life was a mess. He'd been through a couple marriages. I knew a lot of things about his life was a mess. He moved away about two years ago. He comes up to me all excited. He says, just before I left, I've got to tell you what's happened in my life. I said, tell me about it. He says, I went out in the woods and I prayed to God and I said, my life's a mess. I'm moving. It's a chance for me to make a new start. I'm finally ready. Change my life, but make it obvious because I don't listen very well. I said, what happened? 
He said, well, just bit by bit, day by day, I just kept saying that same prayer, the same prayer I said in the woods. Jesus, help me. I need you. Where are you today? He says, look at me. I've lost 75 pounds. I've stopped drinking. I, 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 I've stopped looking at porn. I, I don't have to take anxiety medication anymore. I, I'm no longer depressed. My counselor says, I've never seen anything like this. I'm not sure you need to see me. How did this happen? He says, I don't know. I went in the woods and asked Jesus for help, and I just keep doing that every day. It's the power of Jesus. You need that kind of change in your life. By the way, on Easter weekend, we're going to talk about that kind of change. You might know someone that needs change. Bring them. Bring them. Let's talk about how our lives can really change. The disciples figured out the power of Jesus that day when they're out there on the, on the water. Remember that? A huge storm? They were scared to death. They thought they were going to die. The wind and the waves, and they're hanging on to the mast, right? But then Jesus stands up, and what power? He puts his hand out, and he says, peace be still. He calms the storm, and it's like glass all of a sudden. And now they're more scared than ever, scared at his freaky power. Who is this extraordinary man that the wind and the waves obey him like that? And it's good for us to know and to remind ourselves of the power of Jesus because I know some of you are going through a storm right now. Some choppy waters. There's some wind and there's some rain and you just want it to be over and you don't know if you're going to make it. Storms feel like that. They're scary as all get out. It's the time to call on Jesus and His power because Jesus still calms storms. Real ones and your storm. A lot of you remember our friend uh, Terry Silence. About a year ago, he got very sick. He'd been ill for some time. He'd been fighting illness. He really suffered. But you, you'd never know talking to Terry because when you talk to him, he was just the warmest-hearted, kindest-spirited, best soul God ever did make. He'd laugh, you know, his eyes would squint and his little squeaky mouse voice would go, ee, ee, ee. He'd make you laugh, just laugh. You'd never know there was a storm that he was dealing with, a physical storm and other burdens on his life. But see, he had invited Jesus into his life and Jesus had calmed that storm. Even in the midst of storm, he had calm. And then one night about a year ago, we got word from Cheryl that he was gone, gone to be with Jesus. I slept over there that night, and there he was still in his recliner where he liked to be, head back, feet up, mouth open, eyes closed. And there on the wall, right by where he died, was a picture. You know what it was? It was a picture of Jesus calming the storm with the words down below, peace, be still. Because that's what Jesus had been doing in Terry's life all along. In the midst of his storm, he had brought him peace. And now, the storm against, we all, against which we all rage is death itself. That's the storm you're not going to win out over. You don't have that kind of power. But Jesus defeated death, not only for himself, but for Terry and everybody else who's going to end up in a recliner someday in some living room. For all of us, peace. There's probably a storm in your life right now that you need to stop raging against and fearing so greatly. Just whatever that deal is that's bigger than you, surrender that storm to Jesus who can calm that storm. And here's what I've learned. Even if He doesn't calm the storm immediately, He can calm the storm in you even if the storm rages. That's the power of Jesus' actions that we need so desperately, isn't it?
You know, the power of Jesus is something that the disciples saw when they were all there by the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was teaching. And at the end of the day, all these people are gathered. The Bible says there was 5,000 men. And we add up the wives and the kids, there's probably like 15,000 people there. And Jesus, Jesus kind of throws a curveball at him. He says in John chapter 5, verse 5, listen to this. Jesus looked up, he saw the great crowd, and he says to Philip, well, where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? Like, hey, it's dinner time. We've got we to feed them, right? He's kind of messing with them, I think, because John lets us in on the little secret. He asked this, really, it was a kind of test because he already knew in mind what he was going to do. But he's like, yeah, yeah we've got to feed these guys. What do you think the answer is to that one, Philip? Philip freaks out, feed them by bread. Are you, are you crazy? He starts to do the math. Verse 7, Philip answers him, well, based on my calculations, my estimates of what would happen here, uh, uh, if we went to Chick-fil-A right now, it would take about a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for everyone just to have one bite. In other words, Jesus, this ain't happening. We don't have enough. 15,000 people, 15,000, and yeah, so Andrew, he's optimistic. He's like, well, you never know. Let's look around. And so verse 8, he goes and steals some poor kid's lunch. Another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter, spoke up. Hey, here's a kid with five small barley loaves and two small fish. You know, I'm not sure how far it'll go, uh, but hey, it's a start, you know, ever the optimist. You know, here you go. Hey, kid, give me, give me that. You know, and so here he takes it and here we go. What's this kid got? Oh, good. We got barley loaves, five of them. Here we go. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, and two fish. Good. Mmm. I love fish. And so there they are. And so they start, they start doing the math. They're adding it up. Okay, we've got to feed all these people. Okay, we've got 15,000. Okay, one, two, three, seven. How many people do you say we have again? Is that, oh, 15,000? Ah, uh, yeah, no, we're coming up short here. Coming up short, it's a gap. Not happening. Not enough. So it says Jesus was testing them. Turns out maybe it was like a math test, Right? And so if it was a math test, this is what they're putting down on paper. Um, food less than people. <laughs> Multitude greater than five loaves, two fish. Seven less than 15,000. How are we doing on what Jesus, They turn in their paper on the math test. And Jesus is like, hmm, F, no. Because all he saw was faith less than, no, greater than fear. Jesus says, wrong answer. I'm into the new math. Um, upside down math. Tell you what, verse 10, he says, all right, have the people sit down. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass uh, in that place. So they sat down. About 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had what? All had enough to eat. He said to the disciples, well, gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. We don't want any remainders on this equation. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by the 15,000 who had eaten. It all doesn't add up. How would you have done that day as you looked around at the resources available, the need before you, and the solution? How, how would you have done on that kind of a test? 
that kind of a math test. Jesus wants to teach us how to count in a whole new way. What do you have there? What do you have there? Well, uh, we got uh, one, seven. We have seven. Jesus is like, mm. oh, oh, just a second. Yeah, no, it's seven. Seven, we have seven, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is like, mm. no, it's seven. 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 There's seven, Jesus. Seven, seven, seven. Jesus is like, Finally, Jesus is like, and they're like, eight, <laughs> eight, eight. Problem plus Jesus is enough. Situation plus one, Jesus, is more than enough. Lesson learned? I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what your problem is. It's not a math problem. It's a, it's a, it's a problem with, that Jesus is the answer to, though. Marriage, you, me, counselor, Uncle Fred and three others, bad advice, mm, not adding up, mm, plus Jesus, whole new solution possible. Whatever stress, loneliness, problem, difficulty, decision you're facing, whatever it is, plus Jesus is enough. Let's pray. God, help us to trust you come under your authority to surrender to you to lay down our lives because we know that you are the only rabbi worth following that your yoke is light that you live the truth and are calling us to, to live out a new upside down truth as well we can only do so as we trust your power and so we lay down our lives and surrender to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Amen